Amen. Thanks so much, Ann. And thanks for being here this morning. Ann is such a good friend of New Denver, has been for many years, and we're so blessed to have her with us leading today. So uh, it was back at the end of late September. I was flipping through my news feed, uh, reading through the news of the day, and there was a, a news story that caught my attention and caused me to stop. It read, there is no getting back to normal, experts say. The sooner we accept that, the better. Now, it was a little clickbaity, but I guess it worked. That's the way that all news stories are sort of formulated these days, is how we're going to get people to click on these things. So I, I took the bait. I, I clicked it, and as I read, I just felt like my heart began to sink. Here's how the article begins. I won't read the whole thing, but here's how it starts. It says, as 2020 slides into and probably infects 2021, try to take heart in one discomforting fact. Things are most likely never going back to normal. It's become a well-worn phrase our politicians, officials, experts, even family like to lean on. An ultimate elusive prize. Perhaps it's nostalgia for the world of January, a place where daily life more closely resembled our past decades. Perhaps it's a bid to show control, to revert to a time when change was not, was not so universally imposed upon us. But January is long gone. And it's not coming back. And psychologists will tell you that's only bad if you can't come to terms with it. And when I first read this, my heart just sank. I was depressed for a while after reading it. I mean, this has become the phrase, right, that we've used over and over and over again, that our politicians, our leaders, so many of us have, have heard this along with calls to change our behavior, to restrict doing the things that we love so much. Why? To flatten the curve, to protect us so we can get back to normal. And now this author is telling us this isn't going to happen. I mean, I was just so sad. And then I think I started going through all the, the stages of grief. Uh, I went to anger. I was like, oh no, this is no way. That, that fake news, this is not a real thing. What do you mean we're not going back to normal? I mean, things are going to go back to normal, 100%. You're wrong. I mean, we've had pandemics in the past. We're going to get a vaccine. Things are going to change. We're going to flatten the curve. We're going to get back to normal eventually, right? But then I started thinking about it. Maybe I started coming into the acceptance phase and I started thinking about what the author was really talking about. And I began to accept the reality there is no way to go back to January. There's no way we can. It's not the way it works. Too much has happened to us. Too much has happened to our world since January. Even if we could snap our fingers right now and we had a vaccine and all of the things that we were able to do before the pandemic started, we were able to have access to again. We can't undo going through months of lockdown and wearing masks, being deprived of regular face-to-face -face interaction with friends and with family. We, we can't undo our kids missing out on nearly, by the time this is done, our kids are going to miss a year or more of school. This is going to be the missing year. They you can't make up, you can't undo them missing the school activities, proms, these kids who are seniors who missed out on their sports seasons. You can't replace adolescent memories that never happened. Nor can we change the fact that their lives will be from this point forward indelibly marked by this pandemic. For good and for ill, 
the pen, this generation will be marked. This will be a generation-defining event for our kids. Even if we could snap our fingers and make it all go away, we couldn't undo the, the, the toll that has been taken on men and women who've lost jobs, who's, who've lost savings, who've lost businesses during this pandemic. There is no going back to undo. Even if they have prosperity or get different jobs, there's no way to undo what has happened. And for those who've suffered directly from this disease, who've lost friends or loved ones, for, for the frontline workers, the doctors and the nurses, who've absorbed so much trauma and pain over the last several months, often being there in lieu of family who weren't allowed to be at the deathbed of people as they passed, nothing can undo that. There's no way to undo the relational, emotional, and spiritual toll that this year has taken on all of us. It's a dark and it's a sobering thought, but I believe it is a true thought. There is no going back to what normal was before. There's no going back to January because we can't go back. We can only go forward. But as I've carried that idea with me and as I've thought more about it, Especially coming into this season, the season of Advent, I've, I've thought that there's this new idea that began to form within me. A new idea that, that I want to share with you and that I think is core to the nature of what Advent is all about. If you're new to church or maybe just new to New Denver, you may not have practiced Advent before. Advent may be new to you. Um, the word actually comes, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means arrival or coming. And it's a practice, it's a season that's been practiced in the Christian church by different denominations and different groups uh, for centuries. Uh, going all the way back to the early church, it's a little unclear of how it actually started, but in the very early records we have of church history, we, we have a season, records of a season that started in December that seemed to be uh, on fasting and seemed to be on uh, a focus of Jesus's, awaiting Jesus's return. But somewhere by about the seventh century, a strong connection was made to Christmas. And it became a season where suddenly people were looking forward to the arrival of Christmas. Even to the point today, Advent for many of us has become simply a, a season of time where we count down the days, looking forward to anticipating the coming of Christmas, where where we light the calendar, light the, light the Advent you know, ca candles and we open up the little calendar and we're counting down the days to the arrival of Santa. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Okay. Santa, okay, I, I, miss, I, I think I misspoke. Him. Did I say Santa? What I meant was, of course, Jesus. We count down until the arrival of of Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus, he's the reason for the season, right? Well, at least that's the theory. I mean, it doesn't take a very observant person to say that there's a lot of other stuff going on in this season of time. It's not really about Jesus at all. In our, in our country, we've, we've now seen that Christmas has been swept up into a larger holiday season. And the holiday season apparently starts somewhere around October. I, I, I went to Home Depot uh, around Halloween, and I saw Christmas decorations or holiday decorations and Halloween decorations up at the same time available. It just keep, seems to keep getting longer and longer and longer. And uh, 
it's sort of become this American melting pot of sentimentality and nostalgia and warm feelings. And of course, a great old big dose of commercialism where it's all about buying presents and gifts for other people. And Christmas has just been swept up into that. And, And for most of us as Christians, these cultural holiday rituals like decorating and putting up a Christmas tree and listening to holiday music and watching holiday movies, um, that's become as much our traditions, those have become as much our rituals or practices as anything that focuses on Jesus or on his arrival. It's displaced those things that might focus us otherwise on celebrating the birth of Jesus. But when we look back to the roots of Advent, what we see is that its primary purpose isn't even really about celebrating or looking forward to Christmas. Advent is not primarily about looking back to remember Jesus' birth. It's about looking forward to anticipate and wait for his second Advent, his return. You could say that the season of Advent is actually about three Advents. It's about the coming of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus uh, in the form of a baby, that baby born in in Bethlehem, his first advent, the word become flesh. It's about the coming of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus to all of us through the, the giving of the word, the word through scripture, which has been passed through history to us. And we've received and accepted that and believed that and received the Holy Spirit, his presence with us. But the primary focus of the season of Advent is on the arrival we're still waiting for. It's for Jesus's return to consummate the kingdom of God. This is the first key that I want to point out about Advent. Advent is primarily about looking forward, not looking back. You see, Advent orients us to where we are today. What is our location, our place in the story as God's people? And where are we going? We can look back to get a sense of our bearings and what, what God has done in the past, but, but we can only live our lives going forward. Each year, Advent reminds us we are still a part of God's unfolding story in history. We are in between. We're, we're between what God has done in the past and what he's promised in the future. We're, we're between the initiation of God's kingdom with the coming of Jesus, between, with his death and his resurrection, the initiation of the kingdom, and his coming consummation when the fullness of the kingdom and the consummation of the kingdom of God will be revealed. Advent begins where we are, and it acknowledges that we are in between a world that is broken by sin and not the way it is supposed to be in a world that is going to be redeemed fully by Christ. And in between, we see Jesus breaking through in small ways. We see the light, but, but there's a lot of darkness. To, to begin the journey of Advent, we have to acknowledge that we begin this journey, as author Fleming Routledge puts it, we begin the journey in the dark. Advent begins in the dark. And we We begin by acknowledging the the darkness that we see around us. All the things in the world that are not as they should be. The things in our lives that are not as they should be. And some years, you know, I think that's difficult for us. Some years in the midst of a culture that's so bent 
on, on celebrating a holiday season that's all about pushing away the darkness of the world and putting on a happy face and listening to holiday music and watching happy movies, that can be really difficult to engage in that reality because we can be tempted to want to just cuddle up with a nice cup of hot cocoa and watch some old movies and just pretend like everything is okay. But this year is a little different, isn't it? Any other year, maybe we could just push through and convince ourselves that things are okay, things are going to be okay. But unlike any other year in recent memory, 2020 just will not let us do that, will it? And that's, in some ways, the good news of 2020. Things are far from okay, and it's easy to admit that in a year like this. The world of January is gone, and it's never coming back. The good news of admitting, admitting that things are not okay in our lives, things are not okay in the world, is actually that it is the first step in engaging the journey of Advent and finding the hope that Advent offers. Advent begins in the dark, but it moves towards the light. And that's a journey that we're going to take together. To begin that journey, I want to start by talking about this pull that we have to look backward and and to want to live back into the past, to, to go back to times that seem better than the time that we're living in. And the word, I've used the, the word for this, <clears throat> I've used it a few times already, the word is nostalgia. Nostalgia could be defined as a sentimental longing or wistful affection for the past, typically for a period or a place with happy personal associations. And we all can identify with this sense of looking back fondly on memories that we have of things from the past and having a sense of longing that, that some way we could go back to that. It's natural. It's normal. It's a, it's a universal human experience. But it hasn't always uh, been perceived as a really good thing. For a long time, psychologists actually thought that nostalgia was negative, that it was a kind of disorder. In, in fact, the Swiss doctor who first coined the term in studying it in 1688, he called it a neurological disease of essentially demonic cause. That's, that's a little harsh. Uh, he was studying this phenomenon in Swiss soldiers who were serving on the front lines away from their family and they were longing for or missing their homes and their families. And he saw it as having a depressive, negative effect on them. So he was studying it and seeing the negative sides of nostalgia. But recent, in recent years, research has been much, much more favorable to nostalgia. It's, it's shown that nostalgia is indeed a universal human experience. All cultures, all places, you don't have to be taught to, to reach back into your memory ba bank and remember things fondly. All of us do it. And researchers found that in times of stress or in times where circumstances are, are really difficult, we all do that. We all go back and those memories can actually be grounding for us. They can be really, really helpful. The key is how we look back on these memories, how these memories affect and shape the way that we, we think about our life and where we are now and where we're going. It can be really positive and helpful to look back and, and to remember past experiences and that they can ground us or make us more rooted. But when we look back on the past unrealistically, when we look back and see the, 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 the past experiences with overly rose-colored glasses, what can begin to happen is that nostalgia can take an unhealthy turn and it can actually 
grind our lives to a halt, can actually slow us down and keep us from moving forward. But when we, we look at our circumstances and see the reality of where we are and we look back with hope to continue moving forward, nostalgia can be a really positive thing. But we see the positive and the negative play out often through Scripture. The story of Scripture, the stories in the Bible um, recount men and women who have experiences of being called by God out of a set of circumstances, their lives changing, and in trust and belief, they follow him into uncertainty and into changing or complicated or even really difficult circumstances with the promise that things are going to be better in the f- future. This pattern sort of emerges of God calling people out of the norm and into a transitional season where things are uncertain and unclear towards something that's promised in the future. And the honesty of these stories is that it's often easier to follow God, it's easier said than done to follow God into these circumstances. It can be really hard to leave behind what is known, to follow in trust for what is unknown. And I want to begin today by going back to a story about the nation of Israel during their time in the desert. Now, I know some of you are thinking, we just spent 13 weeks in Leviticus. I thought we were done with the nation of Israel and being in the desert. This is it, I promise. But I figured this would be a great continuity point to look back and see as we've been reading the last 13 weeks about the experiences of the Israelites in the desert. I want to go to a story that took place before the events of Leviticus. The very beginning of of Israel's exodus journey, of their, their wandering in the desert, I want to take a look at a verse of scripture. Now, we all know the Exodus story pretty well. Whether you've read the biblical story or you've seen one of Hollywood's accounts, you know the basic framework of the story. So Israel, the nation of Israel, was a family. And and the family settled in Egypt because there was a famine. And over the years, they grew and became more numerous. And the Egyptians began to conscript them as laborers. They began to force them into labor. They became slaves, essentially. Now, during their time in Egypt, as they were forced into slave labor, they did not forget the stories of the past. They didn't forget the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the amazing things that they'd been told, the promises that were made by God to the people of Israel. They remembered those in Egypt and they cried out to God and God sent a deliverer. He sent Moses. And as we know, through a series of miraculous events, Moses leads them out of Egypt through the culminating miracle of the Red Sea parting and them crossing on dry land and then the sea closing up on Pharaoh's soldiers who were pursuing them. Literally, these people saw amazing miracles. But then God led them into the desert, a time of transition between what was and what was to be in the promised land. And today I want to look at this verse of scripture that comes from early on in the journey, starting in Chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 1, we read this. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So the 15th day of the second month. So we're like six weeks in to this journey, right? Look what happens. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert 
to starve this entire assembly to death. So God has rescued them from literal slavery. For 400 years, these people have been slaves. They were slaves, their parents were slaves, their parents' parents were slaves. Going back generations, all they had known was slavery. But finally, God comes and he calls them out. He sends a deliverer, he rescues them. But now they're in the desert and they're hot and they're tired and they're thirsty and they're hungry and they're starting to get nostalgic for Egypt, for the place that they just left where they were slaves. Look at what they're saying. Oh, remember the meat? We sat around these pots of meat. It was so delicious. And the cucumbers, Morty would make his famous pickles from those cucumbers that grew by the Nile. This is my best Jewish accent. That's all I got. But they were nostalgic and looking back and wanting to go back to Egypt. I mean, this is six weeks in and they are ready to go back to slavery rather than to face hunger, which which seemed ridiculous when I read the story. But here's the thing. Where were you and where was I six weeks into the pandemic? How were you doing emotionally when things, you didn't have anything left to watch on Netflix and you were, couldn't go out to eat or couldn't go do anything? I, I mean, I was, I was struggling a little bit. I'm not going to lie. The COVID desert was sort of weighing on me a little bit. So I can empathize a little bit with being six weeks into a journey that's difficult and wanting to go back. And that's what we did, right? That's what we all do. We did the same thing that the Israelites do. We begin to look back and we look back with rose-colored glasses. Oh, if only we could go back. If we could go back to January. Remember how great things were in January? Remember how perfect the world was? Remember the concerts and the movie theaters and all the good things we got to do? But wait, were things really that great in January? I mean, yeah, there were 55 school shootings in 2019, but at least our kids could go to school, right? Am I right? And yeah, there were 13 unarmed black men who were shot by police in 2019, but at least if you went out into the streets to protest for change, you didn't have to wear a mask or worry about getting COVID. That was positive, right? I mean, in 2019, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, all on the rise. Suicide was at an all-time high all without a global pandemic going on. My point is just this. We long for and we look back for the world of January because there's some really good things that have been taken from us. And things are hard. But let's not over-idealize the world that we lived in in January. It's natural and normal to look back with warm feelings for the things that we miss But we have to face the hard reality that things in our world are not as they should be and they weren't as they should be in January either. We can look back and remember with gratitude the good things in life that God has given us that we miss. But we have to begin looking forward. We must continue to move forward and continue trusting God and his goodness and his promise for the things that are still yet to come. That's what Advent is all about. Advent reminds us that we have to look forward and we do so with hope. We do do so with an expectant hope for the promises that are unfulfilled, yet unfulfilled through Christ. We, We can look back 
and we can remember Jesus is coming as a baby, but our hope rests in the promise that he gave us that he will return to set things right. And yes, we are living in between. Between the initiation of the kingdom and its consummation. And we'll talk in a few weeks about what that consummation, what the fullness of our hope is going to look like. But here's the basis of it. God wins. Love wins. Love triumphs over hate. Mercy, justice triumphs over injustice and anger and judgment. Ultimately, in the end, all will be well. If things are not well, it is not the end yet. And this is not some kind of just hang in there because we think things are going to get better. It's not some Pollyanna optimism. We're basing our hope, rooting our hope on the promises of God through Jesus. And that's way different than optimism. Optimism and hope get confused a lot, but optimism is about looking at your circumstances and beginning to piece together the things to to see an outcome that you think is moving in a good direction. And lots of people are really optimistic now about a lot of things that are very uncertain. A lot of people are very optimistic about the promise of vaccines coming soon. And, and I'm hopeful. I, I, I hope that happens. But I'm not setting my deepest hopes on that because there's a lot of complications in that. There's a lot of uncertainty in that. There's, there's a lot of people who are really optimistic right now that the division and the brokenness in our country is going to begin to subside because we have a new president. And then there's a whole other set of people. The other half of the country is very pessimistic and thinks that things are going to begin getting worse and worse and worse. And the point is, when we read the situation and the circumstances and we begin to try to piece things together and set our hope on positive outcomes because of those things, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Our hope has to go deeper than that. And that's what Advent calls us to. It calls us to a deeper hope, to hold the hope, even when the circumstances seem like things might be getting worse. It's a kind of of paradox. The best explanation for how this paradox works comes from a story that I heard from a man named James Stockdale, Admiral James Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale was a pilot in Vietnam, and he was shot down behind enemy lines early in the war in 1967. He was captured as a prisoner of war, and he was taken to a, a, a prisoner camp known as the Hanoi Hilton, where he spent seven years in a prison camp. They could pull him out at any time, beat him, mistreat him, torture him, and he endured all of that, and he got out. And, and later he wrote a book about his experience, and he's, he's, he's spoken to groups and talked about, about how this, this experience has positively impacted his life. I read an interview with him, and he was asked, how did you make it through the difficulties of that kind of experience. And he said, well, there were two kinds of people that didn't make it out of the camp. He said, the first, which was pretty obvious, are the pessimists. He said, the pessimists are those who just thought we were never getting out, that it was hopeless. He said, they didn't make it. They died pretty quickly. The other group is a little bit surprising. He said, the optimists didn't make it out. And he defined the optimist as those who would latch on to little pieces of information, things that they heard, rumors that they heard from other prisoners, things they overheard from the guards, and pieced together and began to make this scenario where they would say, we are getting out of here by Christmas. I heard this. I think it's going to happen. This is, gonna, this is the time. We're gonna, they're going to come in here and they're going to liberate us. And Christmas would come, and Christmas would go, and then another Christmas would come, and another Christmas would go, 
Eventually, he said, they just died of a broken heart. For him, he said, to survive, he said, I had to hold on to the unwavering belief that somehow, some way, I was going to get out of this. And not only was I going to get out, that experiencing this was going to be a positive good for my life. I had to hold to that paradox that I knew I was going to get out. I lived with that hope that things somehow, some way were going to get better, even if I couldn't see how that was going to happen. This hope fueled him and helped him to survive the most horrendous circumstances that probably any of us could imagine. And that is the same kind of hope we have been called to hang on to as Christians. That's the kind of hope that the Christian hope the capacity to face any circumstance with the confidence that eventually, in the end, God wins, God triumphs. In the end, all will be well. And if things are not well, it is not the end yet. We do not have to look back and long for the good things in the past. We can look forward with hope and anticipation to the promise of God's goodness in the future. And we're not basing this on the circumstances or what we're seeing, but we're basing it on God's promises. That is what Advent is all about. We cannot go back to January, but let's don't settle for going back. Let's be a people rooted in our hope, looking forward to the goodness that God has for us, leaning forward towards the future, anticipating the good that God still has for us, the good things that he still has for us, in the future. Let us watch and let us wait in hopeful anticipation for God's advent in our lives and in our world. And let's pray as we begin this advent journey together. <clears throat> God, um, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word that we can look back and see that you have promised um, in Jesus um, that you are going to redeem and restore all the brokenness in our world and in our lives. Um, that is not uncertain. Um, we can have um, hope in that. And so this Advent season, as we all face challenges of many different, different kinds, um, as a nation, as a city, and even individually, this, this, this pandemic doesn't stop the everyday kinds of challenges that, that people face. Um, that just add up on top of all the things we're facing together. Um, God, I pray that you would give us patience and persistence, give us hope in this season, help us to continue to strain and look for the light, the ways that you are breaking through, and give us um, hope and perseverance during this time. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.